It is really fun. Uh, I, there was a uh, there was a very fun and sort of rewarding feeling to be sitting in a gravel parking lot that I just kind of found somewhere, not connected to anything, and broadcasting and doing a show. Totally free. Just yeah, like it's like who like no wires, no connection. Just I plop down and uh, I'm streaming on the internet. And you know, one of the funniest things when that happened is that's when that's when Anthony found us and came up and, oh, and right. joined us for Linux Unplugged. That was like, awesome. It was like totally random and awesome. And I didn't even realize at the time it was part of a vlog that he was doing. So like he had started he had started like watching us on the rover as we came into town. And so he was doing his overall vlog update to his YouTube channel. And so the visit was part of the update. So it was like a show within a show happening, and I didn't even know it until the end. How about that? This is Linux Unplugged, episode 113 for October 6th, 2015. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's once again broadcasting from the JB1 studio. My name is Chris. And my name is Wes. Hey, Wes. It's good to be back with you, sir. Pleasure to have you. You and Noah did a great job last week. Fantastic. It was actually a really good collaborative production by the whole crew. Uh, Producer Rotten Corpse and the producers helped out a lot. You were great. Noah was fantastic. He sure was. I heard he was the Segway master. Yep. Oh, yeah. You you might learn a trick or two from him. Yeah, yeah, the Segway master. I love it. Although, when you combine Google Glasses with the Segway. That's a pretty nerdy Ooh, yep, image. Yep. Half that's, robot, that's half a, Noah. That's a strong brand. So thank you to Noah for uh, sitting in that for uh, the show. And I actually invited him to make it. I invited him if he could make it. He said he's pretty busy today, but he might be able to stop by later in the hey, show. Hey, that'd be fun. Might join us in the mumble room. So we'll just see. You know, on today's episode, we've got a few things we're going to dig into. Number one, it's Microsoft Day. Happy Microsoft Day, everybody. Did you enjoy that? Was that good Woo. for you? Yeah. They actually had a pretty respectable showing. They unveiled the Surface Book. Now, we're going to look at it and see if it's possible it could run Linux and what that would mean. And you might be surprised at the answer about that. Then, later on in the show, we're going to talk about keeping Linux performing well over the long time. I'm talking about desktops. I went away on the road trip, as you guys know, and when I got back, my tried and true, my favorite workstation, the one that never disappoints, is not running very good. And uh, we're going to talk about ways to maybe speed up your Linux system if it starts to slow down over time and maybe hopefully get some input from the mumble room. And then last but not least, we're going to talk about some updates from the Linux development community. So before we dive into all of that stuff, let's bring in the mumble room. Time appropriate greetings, virtual lug. Hello, you guys. It's good to hear you without uh, dropping about 75% of my packets. That's nice. Now I know I actually have a good connection. So, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. All right. So I wanted to start with something that came out yesterday. Uh, It's just sort of a warm-up to uh, the show today and perhaps maybe something we all should consider a possibility of a world without Linux. Well, uh, sort of. This is the Linux Foundation's attempt to kind of make us stop and think, what would the world be like if Linux hadn't come along and they just released episode one? name of that Michael Jackson song. Oh, oh how does it go? Right? You know the one. Huh? He something like that. Oh yeah, shoot. What is it? Um, uh, let me look it up. He goes to the library, obviously. That's how you look things up. There's no internet. Got right. it, Billy Jean. Billy Jean. Now it's nighttime. Is not my lover. Woo! 
A world without Linux would mean a world without the internet. Hey, what year did that come out? I think you're going to need these. She picks up the keys. A world without Linux is hard to imagine, thanks to hundreds of thousands of individuals and companies who support Linux. We don't have to. Learn more and help support Linux today. Hashtag world without Linux. Of course, there's a hashtag. <laughs> well, there has to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. The Linux, it's not bad, right? That's not so bad. They're going to have another episode, uh, Are We There Yet? And then they're going to have, they're going to have, I think, four episodes. What do you think, Wes? Uh, I think North Ranger in the IRC has got it down. Uh, the BSD folks probably will not appreciate this. <laughs> that said, I think it's good to point it, you know, while Linux may not be the only free internet scale, you know, operating system that exists. It is widely deployed, and it gives us a lot of freedoms that we would not otherwise have. So I'm glad that they're doing this. Uh, some of the points might be a little yeah. strong-armed, but uh, I, I, it was yeah. a nice video. Yeah. Good yeah. production value. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, so that's actually good. It was good production value. Uh, I know Poby is excited about this next update I just wanted to talk about real quick before we get into the main show. Uh, and it's uh, the N1. It's a beautiful open-source email app for Linux. And uh, it clocks in at a pretty hefty, uh, I think, like 20 megabytes or something like that. Uh, but it's, uh, it's like it's here to kick 64. Thunderbird 64. 64 megabytes. Thank you. <laughs> I thought it was 20. <laughs> wow. Uh, and does anybody know why, Wes? you have a guess why it clocks in at 64 megabytes? Uh, it's for, those uh, static dependencies, I believe. It would be based on top of Chromium. It's like, uh, it's like a HaruPad or Atom, right? The Chromium. Yes, and Node.js, I think, is bundled in there as well. <laughs> you got to have Node.js for the events, Yeah, right? naturally. <laughs> So I don't know. Uh, do we hate this or are we okay with giant applications? Look at look. Okay, what if we get a really great functional app uh, that comes with uh, Linux support out of the box? Don't we don't we like that? You know, if it if it works really well, I'm I'm mostly curious to see how personal deployments of the backend servers go. That's what's going to make it or break it for me. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Wimpy? Yeah, I agree. I'm actually. Uh, I've just received my activation key for it, so I'm actually oh, creating it right now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, but yes, I'm I'm interested to as well to know how the backend integration is going to work uh, longer term. So are we just not, don't just yeah, what? don't give them your like primary email account and well, password because you, you know oh, all that email's awkward. stored on there. Yeah. Right. Well, it's uh, just, it, so the sync engine's open source, right? So I mean, people could go poke around in there. And, well, I guess it probably. I guess if the server is closed up, I'm not sure what the code of the server, the license of the server is, but uh, I assume the server is open source too. If you're installing it, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, all right. Do we not then hate the fact that this is a 64 megabyte application that you have to run just to check your email? No, I don't care. I don't care the the file size. That's that's tiny, really. Um, if it if it means it's going to work, and it means that when they do an update, the thing isn't dependent upon some other random library on my system, it all just works. That's great. Yeah, especially if that means it's easy to deploy to you know random machines that you just need it to work. Oh, right. That's a good point too. Huh. All right. I think I want to give containers it, gonna, as well. I think right? I, you I, could I, like slap this in a container and you're done. You know, you don't have a truckload of dependencies that it needs. All right. I'm signing up for. I'm asking for an invite right now. Boom. Oh look, I can connect my GitHub account. Isn't that lovely? All right. I'll do that too. Oh, you, I'm not sure why. You have to. Yeah. Oh, you okay. Have to, you have to do that and and star it, and that speeds up your oh. uh, time to get oh. a thing. But um, I, I wouldn't hurry too much because it doesn't work. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. All right, Insider well, I, tips here. I did Something it anyways. Went wrong. <laughs> Please try to connect to your account again. Try again. Something went wrong. So yeah, okay. So we're we're starting to see a, 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 a more and more applications. Like I, I mentioned, uh, another one that I believe is also uh, built uh, similar to N1 is uh, HaruPad, which is the uh, 
the Markdown editor I use, which I not only love, but now I consider to be an essential tool, one of the things it does is not only does it hockey all the Markdown stuff, but it does live rendering and you can apply your website's CSS file to that live rendering so you literally see what it looks like on your website as you're writing it. You know, the fonts and the way you, you know, the way the block quotes look and everything. Uh, it's, it's just it's such a That's fan. Awesome. But here's the downside. I mean, this is a pretty fast system. Of course, I just launched it, so it's probably going to launch pretty quick. But I, I just clicked it. I mean, it's 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 heavy. I can tell it. It's it's one of the slowest launching applications I have on my desktop, and it's a damn text editor. Right. Yeah, yeah I find I that know people have similar complaints with Adam. It does not. I mean, just a little bit. Right. But I, I'll give N1 a shot. So, all right, cool guys. Well, uh, Wimpy, let me know how far you get in the process. Uh, well, I'm a bit further along, but now it won't actually proceed through the so i'm at the point where it says choose your layout style and there's a button that says looks good which doesn't do anything <laughs> so we have a layout style called looks good that would probably be no, the one no, i choose a button. They have a button no you've got list view or split view so i can i can select those and i can say what key bindings i want ah, to oh, use very and impressive and then so gmail apple mail or outlook are your options and interesting looks good looks good and that's me clicking the mouse and it not doing anything. I managed depressing. to get uh, my my install done before you lot all jumped on it. So I was playing with it early in the morning and was like, yeah, yeah, this is good. Then I tweet it and it all breaks and they put a paywall invite thing in front of it. So Oh, so yeah. Poppy, what jumped out at you that kind of you were impressed by when you say it's good? Uh, so I like the UI. It's quite clean. It's very familiar if you're, us- if you're a Gmail user. It's very obvious what's going on. Ah. You know, you've got a folder down the left and the emails in the middle, and then you get some detail about the contact on the right-hand side. It's it's quite pretty. Mm-hmm. I'm just very wary about the fact that their server can retain my email for 60 days, uh, even after I revoke their access to my email. This so reminds I'm a bit, me. That's yeah, that's oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, it's working now. Oh, so are you guys – there is like a couple of apps. Uh, there's like a – Oh, I, Mailbox is one, but Google bought them. Um, but uh, uh, Inbox is another. It's sort of similar for it's like a mobile. It's a mobile app that does something similar. Like it almost proxies the mail and then categorizes it for you. It's becoming like a service that is a little creepy. And so that is an area that. See the problem with email, right? Is that you get all your password reset emails it's very sent personal, there. You get yeah. I get credit. Card, I mean, credit card companies are now starting to email statements there. Like all this kind of stuff that. If somebody got compromised, and it seems like anybody yeah. can get compromised these days. So I, I'm using a Gash account to get it set up. It's uh-huh. actually running now. Um, but I had to go into Google Mail and actually tell it to have access to mm. all mail folders. You can't use the you know what the tick boxes to filter out what gets displayed in the mail client. Um, and basically, somebody said it looks like Google Mail. It does. It looks exactly like Gmail, just in a window the way the folders are laid out. And I'm not actually a big fan of the um, Google Mail UI, so I'm just thinking, what's the what's the USP here? Hmm. I guess... Well, it can connect to multiple different accounts, so right. it's, it, will, it will look yeah. the same, whether, like, if you're... If you like the, the Gmail uh, paradigm for the way you view mail, this thing can connect to... Uh, Yahoo, Outlook, and all the others, and you have that unified interface, so it all looks consistent, rather than having four different user interfaces for those four different accounts. Yeah, plus so, it can connect to your IMAP. But see, I can do well. that. But I can do that, say, with Geary right now. And the uh, the other one that I was talking about earlier is um, Zimbra have a desktop mail client, Zimbra Desktop, 
and that has integration with all the popular email services and it includes integration with you know your contacts and your calendars and that's built on web technologies as well so um that's a very competent email client i think hmm. i'm i'm uh, i know and uh, producer rotten corpse would uh, recommend claw right now uh, I'm 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 mm. I don't want to I don't want to disparage it because I, I re- a couple of things that I just inherently like about it is it's it looks like a pretty good product that's just available day one on Linux, uh, but now looking at these screenshots I can totally see what you guys are saying about Gmail. It yeah it's I would think that is a screenshot from Gmail. It does right look there. like it yeah especially yeah. with the little icon there yeah so uh, I do like though that it uh, if you pulls in multiple services I'm 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 willing to check it out I'm just not quite sure what it's going to give me I I think I know what it's going to give me over Thunderbird. Um, Thunderbird just feels like a 90s product now. I mean, I love it still. It's my boo, and I I love the fact that Enigmail is super easy to integrate with it. That's my favorite thing about it. Yes. Uh, But Geary and now N1 are knocking on the door, and the thing is, is email is a monster for me. It is a demon that I have to slay a couple of times a week, and uh, it is a take-no-prisoners event. And I want anything that makes me get through that as fast as possible and and anything that helps me triage is good. And that's not really Thunderbird, Thunderbird's strong suit, and strong suit. And it's just, I could, I, I am definitely looking for a replacement. The one thing I like more about Geary is it feels like it's faster to move through. But that's important if you're doing a lot of emails. Yeah. This, I the one thing I like about this is the label support, and the starring, and also it looks like a little bit of thread support. Uh, and, and then you have threading is helpful. And then you have contact information on the far right pane, which is useful for me too. Especially because then sometimes I can put faces to listeners' names and stuff, and that's really nice for me. Uh, so that that is like something I achieved today through extensions that I, I would really like to have that. So this, I mean, I email is a serious enough task for me that I'm willing to burn some drive space and CPU cycles on something that's a really good tool. Yeah, I'd love to be able to use this for my uh, my work exchange server. Yeah, it'll just all depend on that backend stuff. Yeah, well, they think they're going to support. They do support plugins, so somebody might be able to write an exchange plugin. I think it supports Exchange already. No. I'm just worried about it the does, data yeah. retention no issues. No way. So if I can deploy it all locally, yeah, you can't then have I would exchange be... Exchange mail retention. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Retri- <laughs> you don't want retention Corp for IT that. Corporate might but, not be pleased. Uh, yeah. But wow, it does have Exchange support. Jeez Yeah, Louise. which is impressive. I have to check out this open it's been, it's business. It's been in development for nearly a year. Mm, um, okay. So looking at the GitHub repository, the first commits are about 11 months ago. And, yeah, um, it, it is working now. So it, a little bit of a bumpy start with um, how it was, uh, you know, getting the setup going. But now it's working. Now I've found some of the options. It's quite nice. Um, I use Geary myself at the moment. I've been using that for a month or so. And I think I'll give this a try. Um, basically, I've just got um, mailing lists and everything on this account. Mm. So um, I'll use it for that because that's where I get sort of volume of email that I have to filter and work through so I'll give it a go but um, it does look nice once I've, I've got it in split view now and that looks much better hmm. that's much more usable hmm. I might follow up with you yeah. uh, and see how it goes fascinated yeah alright good job thank you N1 nice stuff they called it a beautiful open source email app I don't know it does look like I don't know if it's beautiful it does look pretty good though it looks kind of like a Mac app to me yes it does look like a Mac app I don't know if that makes it beautiful it's clear to it's clear to read. Um, Good. Yeah, the screenshots. Uh, it, I mean, it does look pretty nice. Yeah, uh, yeah all it right. Looks current anyway, yeah. which is yeah. something. If you guys uh, listening at home want to check it out, we have a link in the show notes. I'll give uh, a plug now that I'm back. There's probably going to be one more rover log, 
And uh, they ha- we have them all posted now so far at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash rover. And there's some electrical stuff we did in there you guys probably heard about last week. The rover logs, I'm just giving them a plug because they've, uh, people have been, I think, surprised when they watch them. That they've enjoyed them. They like. They thought I actually have been. <laughs> I've been surprised people enjoy them. In fact, uh, we've gotten some attention from YouTube uh, uh, over them as well. They were featured on the YouTube travel section, which is pretty cool. Turns out you're a pretty interesting guy, Chris. Um, well, I don't know about that, but the rover logs at least work out to be interesting. And so, if you haven't checked them out, uh, there's probably one more coming at least, and then uh, I'll decide where to go from that. And uh, speaking of the rover. You know, one of the things that was awesome about the road trip was the rover's internet was provided by Ting. You can go to right now, linux.ting.com, to get our Linux unplugged discount and support the show. Ting is mobile that makes sense. It's my mobile service provider, and we have the uh, Netgear Zing on the road. And, I, I, you know, for the most part, the Netgear Zing, I really like it. And sometimes it was a little slow for me just on the UI, but I very often had to interact with this. Zing seems like a really good product, and I'm, I'm surprised that uh, there's not more of them out there. there uh, and, and perhaps maybe that's just because of the networks that Ting's on. Ting has a CDMA and GSM network, and I was using the Zing on a CDMA network. And uh, it's a really nice way to go because now that I'm not going to be on the road trip, this is not something I would use a ton. And that's what's really nice about the Ting model is in aggregate, it's going to save me a ton of money because you only pay for what you use and there's no contract. So it's $6 to have the Zing. It's $6 for any line. And then you just pay for the usage on top of that. Well, say I go on a two-week road trip and I use a lot of data. Maybe that month I pay for that data, right? But for the rest of the year, I'm maybe not on a road trip. And it is incredibly cheap to have a MiFi device ready to go on the Ting CDMA network. Now, like I said, Ting does have two networks. You probably have a pretty good chance of having a compatible device. And if you do, and if you do, when you go to linux.ting.com, they're going to give you a service credit that will probably pay for more than your first month. They also have an early termination relief program, which helps you get out of a contract if you're in one of those duopoly contracts right now, which, come on, let's be honest, that contract thing is starting to feel like a dinosaur. You've got to get out of it if you're still in one. And Ting will help you save money. You can go to their savings calculator and putting your actual usage in there before taxes... It's crazy how much you'll save. Yeah. yeah I, I'm like two, over $2,000 for two years, which is basically you could get a computer for that. Uh, I think it's, you know, right now, too, with the new, uh, with the new um, Nexus devices. Check this out, Wes. If you go to linux.ting.com, they're going to take some money off these devices. So these devices are unlocked. You own these, right? There's no contract when you buy them. And I'm flipping through them right now. If you're watching the uh, video version, I'm going to land down here on the new Nexus devices where I just saw them here. The Nexus 6P. You can get it directly from Ting right there. Look at that. That's awesome. The Moto X Pure Edition, three ninety nine, unlocked directly from Ting. LG Nexus 5X, $379. Unlocked, no contract, pay for what you use, $6 a month for the line. Comes ready to go, no problems. That is nice. That is really nice. I, 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 I'm, I'm tempted. I, I'm, they finally added a freaking fingerprint sensor to the Nexus and uh, I, USB-C. Yeah, uh, those I'm, are. I'm looking to try that that new standard out. Those are check boxes that got ticked for me. Uh, so you can get that one 379 when you go to linux.ting.com. And I think with this one, they're going to because that price is already so low, they're just going to give you service credit. So quite literally for 379, your first month you wouldn't probably even have to pay for it, especially if you're Wi-Fi savvy when it comes to data usage. I mean, it's 25 dollars service credit is going to last you that first month. That's how low Ting is, and and you, I mean, that's oh. That's a really, actually, a really sweet way to get that phone unlocked. Linux.ting.com. Go over there, check them out. Just see what they offer. Try out their savings calculator. See if maybe it works for you. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. And thanks for the rover data. All right. So today, I couldn't help it because I was back doing Tech Talk today in studio. And I was immersed 
immersed in Microsoft Day, and I just want to cover it right really quickly on the Linux Unplugged show. The Surface Book, yeah, get it out of your system now. They call it Surface Book, was announced today. And uh, be honest, Mumble Room, it's not a bad rig, is it? It actually looks like a pretty impressive piece of kit. Anybody disagree? Oh, it looks I've pretty good. So just for those of you that are not familiar with it, it is a 13-inch laptop. It has a high-resolution, like 246 or whatever it is, 214 PPI screen. It's a really high-resolution screen. Uh, it has i7 or i5 core processors. It comes with an NVIDIA GPU with DDR5, so it's a pretty current NVIDIA GPU. USB 3 uh, connectors. And the key feature about it is that it breaks off, and it actually also becomes a tablet. When you break it off from a tablet, it still has pretty good battery life. It switches to Intel graphics on the fly. You snap it back together, and now it's, it's a full-fledged laptop. And Microsoft has developed this latching technology that actually electrifies the latch. So it's not like a spring-loaded latch. They created this tough wire that they call it. And when they add current to it, it seizes and it latches it. And you're able to, from the hands-on demos, say you can hold the laptop in the corner of the screen and bounce it and it feels like a solid piece of connected machinery. And then you hit the release valve and it discharges the tough wire and it comes right out and it disconnects from the base. Now, when it disconnects from the base, it goes to an integrated GPU. Uh, But otherwise, it remains a pretty nice machine. Now, here's the full specs. It weighs in at three pounds. 13.5-inch pixel-sense display with 3,000 by 2,000 resolution, which does work out to be a 267 PPI. It has a 6th-generation Intel Core i5 or i7 processor. That means you get the HD graphics, uh, the 520 graphics, and then the discrete is the NVIDIA GeForce graphics. You can get in 8 or 16 gigabytes of RAM, up to 1 terabyte of SSD, has 802.11 ACBGN, Bluetooth 4, obviously, two USB 3.0 ports and mini display out, 8-megapixel rear, 5-megapixel front, Windows Hello Face authentication, um, and up to 12 hours of battery life. Ships with Windows 10, obviously, price of $14.99 base. You get it with an i7 and even 512 megabytes of storage. Now, it is PCI Express storage, and that price very quickly shoots up to $2,700 in some of the configurations that we were trying. But in the demos they showed, it actually has pretty impressive performance. They showed live transitions in, in Premiere. They showed live edits in AutoCAD. And the thing wow. can flip around and, and act as a, as a tablet. It can break off and just be a standalone tablet. But you can flip it around and have it on the keyboard and still have the GPU and discrete have battery all that power. still and have it in tablet form factor. We started looking into the specs, trying to figure out how likely this thing could run Linux. And PCMeg had a hands-on at the Microsoft showing, and they were looking specifically at the latching mechanism. And they talk about how the GPU is located in the base of the system, back where the keyboard is. And it's supposedly a pretty decent keyboard, too. And they say the latching mechanism has a wide electrical connector. And they say, no doubt, a PCI-based interface to facilitate communication between the GPU and the rest of the system. So we were sort of speculating in the pre-show that if this is a truly a PCI interconnect between the top of the machine and this keyboard accessory, it is very possible that that the keyboard and that trackpad are coming in over USB on that interconnect, and the battery obviously is coming over the PCI connector. Now, we don't know exactly what the solution would be for graphics, but it's very likely that this would work with Linux. Yeah, that, if it has enough standard compliance stuff that, you know, we can, with a little work, people can get drivers adapted for, that would be great. And I'm thinking worst-case scenario you would have to just use the discrete graphics or just the Intel graphics. Right. Uh, if this was a reasonable approach, Wes, if you, if you were in the market for a really high-end, quote-unquote, laptop, 
and you wanted to run Linux? I would consider it. You know, I mean, it depends on how well the, the laptop part works. I do a lot of stuff on the command line, obviously. Um, but it's really interesting to see Microsoft as a hardware vendor. If they do make stuff that Linux can run, then I wouldn't be opposed to it. You know, I don't need their uh, included okay. bundled OS. And, and let's, say, let's say it work is buying. Well, if work's fine, yeah, I, w- I would definitely consider it. If, yeah. if it ran Linux with you know only a reasonable number of tweaks, then uh, I would definitely consider it. So if yeah, if you were like, like say you worked in a workplace and they would decide to start buying the Microsoft gear, uh, I don't know. I, I Poby, would you like this? Would you try this? Would this be something you'd be willing to run? Well, well, my first reaction is when you when you suggest like you break down the connectors and how things interconnect. That's all magic and great, but have you tried an NVIDIA Prime or, you know, Bumblebee-based system? How long have they been around? And they're two GPUs in one laptop without any wacky connector that pulls them apart and puts them back together again. And we can't even get that working properly. Yeah, Let alone something that dynamically appears and disappears off the PCI bus where there may or may not be, you know, data currently in flight. So so then is this Microsoft successfully bringing a type of convergence to the market, in your opinion? No, I mean we've seen this before. There's this. I mean that that device is not glaringly different than, than the Surface an Pro, Asus Asus Transformer, sure, or the Transformer yeah. Prime, yeah, I mean, or something like that. I if mean, you think about it, it's not that much. Things. But really, if you think about it, it's not that much different than is it than the Surface Pro? Well, the fact that they've put some of the brains inside the keyboard is a bit interesting and is a bit different. Um, but I. I, I I'm not interested if it's if it's running Windows, to be honest. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I don't need yet another Windows machine. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, anybody else in the mumble room? Would you be tempted if maybe work was buying, or the, even for yourself, if you knew for fair certainty that in some way, in some form, Linux would work? Anybody want to bite? Sean, I'm looking at you. I'd bite, but. Only if I could get Linux running smoothly. I won't have that Windows baloney on my system. What if it came down? See, here's here's why I'm wondering if this is doable. Because I think people make bigger compromises today to to run Linux on a MacBook. Often, you know, simple things like your Ethernet port doesn't work unless you boot the operating system with it connected, and that you have to figure out how to get your webcam to work every time you want it to start, and that thermal controls have just recently been added. There's a lot of compromises. I know I always bring this up, but there's a lot of compromises people make for their hipster hardware. And Microsoft may have made a device here that may be easier to run Linux on than the MacBook Pro. We will have to see. Hmm. It'll change things. I'm or unconvinced. Not. I've, st- I've, got a, I've got a five-year-old MacBook Pro here, and it still doesn't run Linux properly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The bar is not that high. Like, they could do it. Uh, this, to me, is the real test of Microsoft, by the way. One of the things that Sache set up on stage today is they don't want people to feel like they have to run Windows. They want, them to, they want, to, want to run Windows. And uh, we'll see if that's true with the Surface Pro or uh, Surface Book. Sorry. Um, if, it, if it requires Windows to make that magic work and it's not done at the hardware level, then I don't know how much I believe them in that statement. But if this is something that developers could buy and load any operating system they want on, then I'm starting to believe them. I think this is a real good test because this is the first time they've ever made a laptop. Yeah, it's interesting. In the new Sache era. Yeah, as they say. And, and I, do, I do agree. I think the convergence comparisons are a, little, are a little weak. I've been seeing a lot of that online. It seems a little – it's not really convergence. The thing the, it's just the, a fancy new connector, really. Yeah. It, it, tell me it's convergence when you open up Internet Explorer or uh, uh, Windows File Explorer. Tell me how converged that is. 
Yeah. It's, it's not convergence. Uh, all right. So uh, any other thoughts, guys, on the uh, surface? I just wanted to touch on it because it's like the big topic today. Everybody's Microsoft blew it out of the park. Microsoft stock went up a whole bunch. It was a pretty good presentation. Uh, I got to give the guy that. He, he at least had his own take on it. So any last thoughts going once, twice? All right. We'll leave that. If you guys want to read the specs, you can find the link in the show notes. I'll take a moment and mention DigitalOcean. I love me some DigitalOcean because they're a simple cloud hosting provider that's dedicated to making it really easy to get your own Linux rig up on a cloud server that's super fast. they got Tier 1 connections all connected to SSD drives. And for like $5 a month, you won't, you won't believe how much you're going to get. So you'll get start $5 a month. $5 right here. That's less than a hamburger a month. You can get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. But if you use our promo code DOUnplugged, DOUnplugged, that's one word, lowercase, then you're going to get a $10 credit. You can try the $5 rig out two months for free. There's so much you can do with that. And their pricing plans are really straightforward. They step right up very simply. They have a whole bunch of distros you can choose from. Maybe it's a good opportunity to play with CoreOS or FreeBSD. It hurts me a little bit to say it, Wes, but they do have FreeBSD. Alan's gotten to you. Well, you got to respect how they do it, too. Like, they work with the projects to make sure that it's, like, totally legit and you're getting updates from the projects and they're coordinating. And then, like, they roll out a ton of documentation that's really well written and edited and it's just, like, it's a full package deal. And ironically, you know, it's their commitment to using things like full, you know, KVM virtualization that let them do this kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And they just launched a new data center up in Canada, too. So if you want to store some uh, data up in uh, Toronto, they have Tor1. One of the many data centers they have in New York, Amsterdam, San Francisco, Singapore, London, Germany, and now one in Toronto, and you can deploy up there. It's, they have one-click application deployments, too. It's very, very nice. So just remember, DO Unplugged. Also, if you want to just build something around the DigitalOcean infrastructure, they have a really nice API that makes it very easy to develop your own app, to do deployments. And because they have hourly pricing, really, if you want to just be a boss, like if you like, say you're launching something or maybe you've got a project and it's day one, for very, very, very little, just like very like cents on the dollar, you can run a DigitalOcean server hourly. Just scale up as you need it using their API. Shut her down when you don't. And it's serious on-demand infrastructure. It's really cool. So just use our promo code DOUnplugged to support the show. There's lots of different ways from own cloud sync, BitTorrent sync, sync thing, X to go. There's a lot of ways people in our community. Minecraft, Mumble. And Mumble. Says, really. Our virtual lug is running off a DigitalOcean droplet right now. So it's really cool. DO Unplugged is how you can get started. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Okay. I, I can't believe I'm about to say this because I feel like I'm a freaking Windows user all of a sudden. It's a little embarrassing. Not to be derogatory to those of you listening using Windows. I shouldn't have said that. But I got back from my road trip and I said – I mean I'm not even joking when I say this is – I love this machine so much – then when I sat down at it for the first time I got back from the road trip, I got a little excited. Like, I'm like, oh, I get to use this computer again. I've missed it. I, does anybody, if you know what, a, if you have a computer like that, you know what I'm talking about. It's your bae, your boo. Is that what the kids say? Okay. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're very hip. I, thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. I try. <laughs> uh, it's, I try to be very, very hip. It's, uh, it's my thing. And, and the value of this is negative. So I sit down to use this computer and something, something, something bad happened. Something real bad happened. Uh, Producer Matt was clipping shows for Unfilter like crazy, and the Dropbox folder sitting on my home drive grew to unbelievable sizes and filled up my home drive. Ouch. XFS partition, I thought, no big deal. I went in, unchecked some selective sync stuff, deleted a few dozen ISOs that had been sitting in my download folder for a while. Good to go. You know, just those little things you yeah. forget about yeah. from time to time. And I get back, I'm now 70% free on my home drive. 
It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Plenty of space. Yeah. However, however, the machine is running like dog crap. Like it's taking applications very noticeable load times. I can hear the drive crunching like crazy. Uh, I my 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 flash video is like all hyper sped up. It's all weird all of a sudden. Like the machine is just hurting. And I've never really had this problem with Linux. But, you know, I noticed that the uh, Linux Foundation has launched a Linux performance tuning course, LFS 426, um, for the low, low price of $2,500. Pocket change, really. I thought, I bet, I bet here on Linux Unplugged we could come up with a few performance tips for absolutely free (laughs) that are maybe not not as good as the $2,500 ones, but maybe with between you and I and the virtual lug, we can come up with a couple of tips to just kind of keep your Linux rig running at top performance over its lifetime. I'm not saying this is like registry cleaning kind of tools and crap <laughs> like that. But, you know, just ideas maybe to, uh, to just – Tricks sort of, people have picked up along the yeah, way. Yeah, And so I don't know if you guys in the mumble room, if you want to think of a couple. Uh, and if you're in the chat room and you have one and you can join the mumble room, feel, feel free to jump in the mumble room and make your suggestion. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with the elephant in the room, the one we're all going to probably talk about. That's the swap file. That seems like the easy one to go to. Now, all of us have plenty of RAM, I'm sure. Maybe, maybe not. But uh, I guess if you have to swap, the number one thing that I'm, I'm feeling right now is I think my swap partition is on the same drive as my home drive. I, I think see. I made that mistake when I set it up. And I'm going to just say right here and right now, if you've got an old SSD you want to burn through <laughs> really bad <laughs> or something like that, if you can, try to put your swap files on a separate disk. Um, I actually – I know a lot of you probably listening just completely disable swap. And if anybody wants to make that argument in the mumble room, you're welcome to. For me, I'm not comfortable yet. I don't know if it's just because I used to – I just – to me, it seems crazy. What if I need to debug a crash? I don't know. I don't know how this works without my swap file. Uh, so I just have to put – I just mentioned out there, if you need a swap file, try to put it on a separate disk. I think that's one of the things that I am for some reason feeling the pain of right now. You can also mess with your swappiness. But I'll leave that to uh, so uh, like Heavens in the in the uh, chat room says I sweat my I set my swappiness value to one, which depending on your swappiness value is how likely your system's going to go to use it. So I'm a con in the chat room says that he hasn't used a swap file for a few years now. I know that's really super common. Yeah, it is definitely. Yeah, do you have you ran a system without a swap file? Yeah, I think some of mine do. It's kind of hit or miss depending on when I set them up and how I was feeling that day. But what would be like the deciding factor for you? Uh, you know, if it's if it's something where I'm running a more defined set of software, I'm not worried about crashes. I kind of know what performance that I'm yeah, expecting. Yeah, yeah, then yeah. it's fine. Yeah, um, and you have plenty of RAM. Yeah, and if I have plenty of RAM, then it's not a big deal. Um, you know, some systems you can always you can always throw some on there. Yeah, uh, mumble room. Anybody in there going uh, swap free forever? No, um, no. On some machines, no. I'm already swap free. Yeah. Now, why is that, Wimpy? Uh, if it's um, not a laptop. And I don't need it for suspending and hibernating. Okay. Then uh, I just uh, use ZRAM instead for for swap. Maybe I should maybe I should kill my swap file. Popey, you sounded pretty adamant that you you always have a swap file. Yeah, I never don't have a swap file. Now, never not. Is that for sleep reasons? Are you always on laptops, or is there another reason? Uh, because disk space is cheap, and there's no reason not to have one. That's kind of been my approach, is it? But now I'm wondering if maybe I'm paying for it by having it on the same drive as my home folder. 
Well, well only if it's why... using it. It's only, only, it's only a problem if you're yeah. if it, if it's swapping. That's what's swapping. That's, that's why yeah. it's that's why it's not a problem. If it's, so if you're not using it, why do you care? Gama uh... in the chat room says, "What a, what is swap?" So think of swap as like a space on your disk that's been allocated for the operating system to store stuff that doesn't necessarily need to be in RAM. So that way, the stuff that needs to be in RAM has space. Extra slow, really horrible RAM. Yeah, when your system's going to swap, you're in a, you're usually in a in a in a bad state. So uh, I I might consider just because you know I could turn it off. I could swap off, yeah, and just see uh, see how it goes. Maybe you have some homework for next week. Yeah, that's, I'm gonna. I'm so, actually gonna write that down. Yeah, go ahead. You said that you were running on XFS. Yes, is that right? Yeah, and you've just deleted and purged a load of stuff. Mm-hmm. Have you checked the defragmentation status of the volume? No, I haven't really. I actually just did it this morning, so I I, I could definitely okay. do it. Okay. Check the frag, de- so, check the defrag level, like on a good old Windows so, box. Yeah, um, and XFS has got online defragmenting, right. so um, uh, the the fragmentation factor that it reports is between zero and a hundred percent, and the closer to zero, the better. So if your fragmentation factor is up, you know, in the seventies, eighties, then um, time to defrag the volume, and the utilities exist to do that. Um, so you've got XFS underscore DB, which is for for debugging, but that's the tool that you can use to um, expose the fragmentation factor. And uh, then there's XFS FSR, which is the file system reorganizer. And that can actually do the um, the mm. defragmenting I see. for you. And I found that ArchWiki actually has a really nice write-up on it. Yep, naturally. And uh, there's uh, also XFS BMAP, uh, and you can use that to defragment individual files. Mm. So if you've got a, a large ISO, for example, that has been downloaded whilst or many fragmentation. <laughs> Or, or something. I mean, I used to use it because I had large um, uh, data files from crash recorders or from aircraft, mm. and I'd get loads and loads of those, and you'd find that in, individually those were then fragmented, and I could defragment those and speed hmm. up the analysis time. Oh, interesting. Made it that much of a difference, huh? Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Significant. It can It can take your system from being sloppy and slow to being like you've just installed it. Now, Rotten, you wanted to make a, a, a special mention of Badabo. Badabo. Yeah, I, I was gonna. I, I would. I don't know how to say it either, but I would say like Baobab yeah. or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Now, what does uh, this do? It's, it's a disk uh, usage disk usage analyzer. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, of course. Yes. Uh, yes, that's a good one. Also, uh, Wes wanted to give a plug for NCDU. Yes, that's just uh, you know one of those tools in my toolkit that I turn to yeah. pretty much all the time. Nice and fast, right Curses there in the terminal. Interface. Love curses interfaces. Yeah, that's a that's also a good one. Um, I, so uh, I guess I guess one of the things. That, so I'm taking notes. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the defrag. Obviously, I'm gonna turn swap off. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on uh, Wes the the tool that you mentioned to store your browser profile in RAM? Tell me about that. Oh yeah, uh, profile sync daemon. There's also anything sync daemon. I'm not using them currently, but I've used them in the past, and it just uh, it just kind of transparently handles moving all your bro- browser profiles, kind of stuff that can be resource intensive to grab from the disk or to frequently update on the disk. So and it, it keeps them in RAM. So this is a daemon that designed. So I'm reading from the wiki here, designed to manage user specified directories, referred to as sync targets from here on out in tempfs, and periodically sync them back to the physical disk. This is accomplished via sim linking step up and uh, a, a sim linking step and an innovative use of rsync to maintain a synchronization between tempfs copies and the media bound backups. Additionally, 
uh, and uh, with there's a typo with uh, features such as crash recovery. So um, oh ASD features okay. So this, so if I'm understanding, Wes, this is a system sync daemon that syncs between my disk and a RAM disk, and then it, it, the applications end up using symlinks, which point to files in a RAM disk. Exactly, and then, and then it manages, uh, you know, copies on the disk periodically, so that you, if if your system goes down, you won't lose everything. That's pretty cool. That is, that would, I mean, a big part of what I do is I'm sitting here doing show prep, or I'm or I'm showing a website on air. It'd be really nice to have my web browser performing really well and one of the things that seems to have taken the biggest hit is my web browser yeah right and so you know especially if that's that's the kind of workflow you have you, you ever might... used it yeah i've used it in the past uh, oh, okay. when i was using uh, okay. firefox exclusively uh it was it worked pretty well though i was happy with so it. so there's two of them any sync any anything sync daemon i'll have a link to that in the show notes and then what was the other one profile sync daemon which is made ju- i think anything is an extension or outgrowth of profile sync daemon okay that mm. one's just for browser right. profiles ah that might be a little safer yes <laughs> but this can be useful, too, if you have other applications that you would like, you know, f- certain things to be in RAM. Mm. Um, I've played with, not using this, but, you know, played with have, have running your all your root system in RAM. People do that. This is kind of fun. This might turn into this might turn into an ongoing series of me trying to run more and more crap out of RAM. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, any other tips before I ask? I'm going to ask the doozy of the question. Anybody else in the mumble room have uh, any other uh, performance tips they do on their rig to keep things running fast? Anybody still do pre-linking, anything like that? Well, Chris, you, you mm-hmm. said that you were uh, running your home directory on SSD. And mm-hmm. what, I, what I concern with is if you're running swap on there, wouldn't that be actually doing way more writes to the system than it should? Yeah, I can't remember. if you're using it. Yeah, I can't remember how often. I mean, I only now have the sense that maybe I'm swapping. I, in the general, in the past, I don't really ever have the sense I'm actually using the swap file. Uh, so that is a good question. I don't know how frequently it's being updated. Maybe another good reason to swap off. I only have SSDs in the machine, and then I have a I have a RAID zero of, of drives I use for editing, or Steam. <laughs> I would like to, I mean, to be clear, you should also know that most people, if you have a, a significant amount of RAM, you won't really touch swap unless you're doing mm-hmm. like high computations and stuff, or a bunch of virtual machines. Or it's not like a ton that. of RAM. I think it's like sixteen gigs. It's not like a ton, which is kind of crazy. That, that's that's a ton in consumer level, really. Is it though now? Yeah, like I run the, yes. the average like, consumer starting thing is like four, two, two to four. You still no. But like, you can buy an XPS yeah. thirteen with four gigs. That's no. Yep. They haven't gotten better about that yet. Now you can get six and eight and stuff very commonly for about like three fifty to four fifty. I can't even so imagine less a, than a eight. Decent price. How are you going to run multiple but, VMs with less than eight? <laughs> How you, you gonna, how are you going to VM? How are you going to do that? Come on, get out of here. Get out of here. Don't even. You, 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 uh, you optimize. Actually, what I think the I can't no I I I, got, I actually I actually could see it working, especially with a lean Linux desktop. I mean, it, it's definitely doable. And containers will help you there. Yeah, I, I could honestly see getting by with less RAM, um, especially if you're using it on the server side. I, I kind of I'm I'm half joking, but at the same time, I I really am kind of disappointed that they're not selling it with more RAM these days. Because I really would like to. I mean, I I would like to have well, like 32. Yeah, exactly. When you go to five uh, five hundred or more, you get into like the eight gig RAMs. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I guess for me, I I I feel like, boy, if I could afford it, I'd I'd be up to thirty two on most of my machines. Now, okay. Anybody have a thought? Because this is a suggestion that's coming to the show a few times. I've never actually. I almost pulled the trigger on it once, but I never have actually switched out my I/O scheduler. Now, for those of you that don't know, you can get different schedulers in the Linux kernel. It just depends on which one it's built with. 
that support different types of disk input and output operations, you could say. So there's the CFQ scheduler, the completely fair queuing scheduler. There's the NNOP scheduler and deadline. And then there's the one that probably is the, the one that people know what I'm talking about, the, the BFQ scheduler, the budget fair scheduler. And it's available in some Linux branches right now. And a lot of people say the BFQ scheduler is significantly faster if you have SSD drives. I don't actually know if this is really worth the switch. Uh, Okay, Heavens, Heavens, you can post the correction in the chat room. But this is my rough. I'm giving you a layman's understanding of how the how the uh, how the BFQ scheduler affects disk I/O operations. So essentially, there is requests that come into the kernel, and the kernel has to handle a lot of things. You know, get something off of disk, feed something to somebody else, talk to the network, and the BFQ scheduler can give, say, preference if you have an SSD drive to the disk I/O scheduler versus the network controller, things like that, right? So BFQ is perhaps maybe another way to put it is more biased towards the disk scheduler in a sense. And so if I'm getting it, if I'm understanding correctly, you say you have BFQ and as, your, as your overall Q scheduler, then your disk performance can be much higher. Instead of waiting to go to the disk, it more often goes to the disk. Now, this is just based on what I've read, reading on people that have tried it and said their performance is way better. Right, and people are typically looking for responsiveness on the desktop. I yeah, believe. and so, for example, a great example is, you know, if you have a bunch of GTK dependencies in the background that are loading, instead of just sitting around there waiting for those GTK dependencies to finish, BFQ might go check in with the disk scheduler and see what it needs and take care of that for a minute and have the data ready. Something like that is really layman's understanding, but that seems to be the end result, which you see as a user is things open up much faster. You can run multiple applications. You can launch multiple applications at the same time and they'll launch while the disk is already being heavily accessed. It seems to be the general takeaway from BFQ. Anybody in the mumble room ever played with anything like this? Rotten? Yeah, I do. Maybe, I, yeah? I do on, I do on um, not so powerful equipment. I don't bother on more modern systems. So, so you do notice on, a difference? On so, so, for example, on the Raspberry Pi, I definitely notice a difference by changing the combination of file systems and I/O schedulers. And on older, much much older hardware, sort of Pentium 4M type devices, um, even retrofitted with SSDs, you can see a measurable improvement in um, disk performance by changing well, I/O. In schedulers. what ways does that performance sort of show itself? Um, well, the most obvious one is that you can see that the boot speed is dr- dramatically decreased. Hmm. That's nice. Boot time. So that's um, probably launching also, of simultaneous files and things like that, just as generally yeah, faster. But uh, where you really notice it is if you're um, extracting a large archive in one process and browsing the web in the other, you don't get that stop-start pausing, you know, and and stuttering as you're, you know, launching tabs and switching between tabs, it all happens far more fluidly. Mm, I like that. Usually, I believe it a cost to the decompression throughput, but but that's fine if you can yeah, use you your desktop. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. And it's interesting because in a server workload, that might not be what you want. No, probably not. But on a desktop workload, no. that is what you want. And and like I say, I only do this on on the older hardware where you know there's there's clearly measurable benefit on on the newer hardware the the differences are so so small it's not worth the time to to tweak it interesting i that was sort of my takeaway it seemed like from the reviews i was reading it was in some cases so a couple of them that were seemed pretty obvious were simultaneous application launching like everything just remained very fluid they all didn't nothing really stuttered it was all very smooth but outside of that, I didn't see huge differences, and it seemed like a lot of work for a minor return. Uh, so that's why I was kind of putting it out there, wondering if people have actually experimented with it, because 
every now and then when I, when I, I guess what brought it up again is I remember watching that demo and then today using this machine thinking, oh, these applications are launching so <laughs> slow. And like I launched Telegram, which is not a huge app, and like everything seizes on the machine that was loading and stops loading for a second, like even the terminal window. And I thought, this is performing horribly. And I started thinking, I remember the BFQ scheduler was much better about prioritizing these kinds of things on the desktop. And I, so I did a little reading into it, read a few reviews, and it's, I don't know. It Some, seems something to try anyway. Seems possible and worth trying, but I, I'm I'm a little skeptical since nobody's really building it in. If I would imagine by now, if it really made that much of a difference, some distro would be. Yeah, oh, I think one does. I think one distro out there based on Arch does ship with it built in. But yeah, if you guys Sabion also does the BFQ or BFS. That was the one I was thinking of. Yeah, Sabion. And and uh, have you noticed any difference when you play with it, or have you played with it? I have played with it. I haven't really noticed. Well, from my personal. Attempts. I haven't really noticed much of a huge increase yeah, because Sabion. you really notice much of a difference when I'm compiling and doing a whole bunch of stuff, and it's really stressing my my rig. Sabion is built from Gentoo, right? Not Arch, if I recall. Yes, Gentoo. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the reasons I was drawn to try it from a while ago was because it uses BFQ, and I don't remember really noticing any difference now that I think about it. But they, you know, out of the box, they're trying to make it as performant as possible, and it's an interesting take on it. So I wonder – I don't know. We'll see where it goes. There are some branches of the Linux kernel out there that have it already too. Uh, if, you, uh, if you have any suggestions, linuxactionshow.reddit.com and look for uh, lucky episode 113 of Linux Unplugged and uh, leave a comment in there and I'll try it if it's uh, reasonable and quick. Huh. I don't want to rebuild my kernel necessarily. Though, well, that's, so. that's what's nice about the uh, I.O. scheduler. You can change that on, on the fly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that was actually one of the neat things about one of the demos I was watching is he would literally turn – he would switch them and you could watch it. You right. could watch the difference. I think he was using Fedora. And uh, that was pretty remarkable. So all right. You know, another way you could maybe make your system run a little better is probably just learn more about it. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Linux Academy is the sponsor of the Linux Unplugged program. And, man, do they have some really cool stuff coming up. So on October 15th, they have a really big live show they're going to do. Uh, and they've been working on this thing. That they're, I'm gonna, I have the notes here, but I can't tell you yet because it's a big secret. But uh, they've been working on it for a year. And there's a lot of updates coming. Not only that, but they just rolled out a new HTML5 player with a new CDN backend. So all of that great content works even better now. And you know, one of the things about Linux Academy that really stands out is they allow you to choose from seven-plus distributions. The courseware, the virtual machines, they match that. The other thing, though, is instructor help is available. With that stuff, the stuff that you, the self-paced courses can still have actual instructor help. That's awesome. They have new lab features that are launching later this month. A new practice exam phase one system will be launching this week, and a new community feature we're going to hear more about very soon. There's a lot of really good stuff coming out. Also, they have the new Linux Foundation Certified System Administrators course and the Linux Foundation Certified Engineer course. Have to definitely check that out. And they're also proud to announce they're an OpenStack corporate partner now. So they're officially an OpenStack training partner. You can check that out, too, at Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and learn about the whole stack around Linux. Everything from small nuggets, just deep dive into a single topic like using TAR to back up your system or rsync to the really big stuff. The scenario-based training where you get real hands-on. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to get our discount and you can take the tour. It's a really great service and it's built by people that are crazy passionate about Linux. I love that about them. And they're working so hard. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Oh, and they just rolled out a new dashboard. Hey, fancy that. Yeah, got a whole new look. Check that out as well if you're already a member. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. You guys are awesome. 
So I don't really know how to cover this next story. In fact, uh, it's so I'm, I'm dreading it so much that Wes and I were trying to figure out how to handle this on the show because it's really not our area of expertise and there is very valid points on all sides. But some important things happened this week. and I just want to touch on them and I want to keep the conversation as light as possible. But I, I also don't want to ignore it. I think that would be in its own way sort of disrespectful. So this week, um, Matthew Garrett – and uh, another Colonel contributor, uh, her name is uh, Sarah, Sarah Sharp. Sharp. Yes, thank you. Uh, both uh, decided to step away from the Linux kernel uh, community, in a sense. And both cite essentially uh, the tone, the language, and the overall interacting with people on the Linux kernel mailing list. And mostly you could sum up as it's, it's accused of being a toxic environment. And uh, this keeps coming up as a theme over and over again. And it may give us some insight into some of the changes that happened earlier this year, perhaps, uh, when it comes to the code of conduct that was uh, submitted to the Linux kernel. And I, I'm trying to wrap my head around why we keep running into this. And I simply, I simply wonder – now, this might sound maybe too simplistic, but I definitely noticed just on this road trip that I just went on – and I think I was telling you about this at lunch too – like there is a difference in culture from Washington – to Grand Forks. Like right. everywhere I went, each location, people talked differently. Different expectations. They behaved right. differently. Like I was telling you about the guy at the whiskey store who gave yes. us the, you know, the, the squinty eye. Then you go to another town and it's like they're pouring you free drinks and they're embracing you. you get, like everywhere has its own culture and its own way of doing things. And you take that and you blow it up on a global scale and then we're all working together. But then the other thing that seems to be completely counter to a organic open environment is you have people that are coming at it from the corporate standpoint where this is their job and they're here to do a job. And then you have people that are doing it because it's their life's work and their life's passion and they would be doing it whether they're getting paid or not. And you have two completely different types of work mindsets coming together to work on something. And they, the two different groups completely behave differently. Not to mention a lot of these people may have never met each other face-to-face. Right, right. And then you have people that you know, handle different types of, of language completely differently trying to work together. And I, I just look at this and think, how is it possible to have any project at this scale and not have this happen? I'm not trying to justify the actions, but I'm wondering, is it are – we, are, we, are we capable – at this stage of our, our ability to communicate online to really solve this problem? Is, is online communications just still too primitive to truly solve this problem? Could it be if Linus – is it possible if, if Linus just spoke a little more nicely and treated new people with really you – know, uh, with a really um, more gentle touch? Uh, would that really change things? What do you think, Wes? Does, is it possible? You know, you know I'm not sure. And it's, it's a – it's it's tough to try to draw the line between um, you know making improvements and, versus different styles. Uh, you know I think Linus has touched on that on the mailing list before. Mm-hmm. You know different mm-hmm. different people have different expectations and take things different ways, which mm-hmm. is which is entirely valid. But that said, it does you know it gives me pause that you know both of these people are clearly very talented technically. You know um, and they've contributed a lot to the kernel, and so it is. Yeah, it, it, it's at least interesting that they choose to leave. Obviously, we'll, we're lucky that we still get to enjoy what they do in other open source projects. Mm-hmm. But as a Linux user, I'd like to you know I'd like to have an environment where people are excited to join and are not turned away. Right. Yeah, that is definitely you don't want to have a reputation for being um, uh, hard I'm, to join. did bring up in the chat room did bring up a good point though. Um, What's that? There there is the issue of uh, you know do we want 
you know, is this something where you need to step away? And and this is of course a personal choice, but or or should there should there be a stand up of people who want to change and represent that change within the kernel community? Mm. I don't know. I'm not a kernel ju- developer. If, if people but, just leave, then there's not representation, right? Does that just leave the people, you know, who are interacting in a style that a subset of people don't enjoy? Yeah, this is a t- this is a challenging one because it's 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 uh, unfortunately a topic that. It's really it's it's a bad it's a bad image to have. It's a really bad image to have, right? And uh, it's really at the core of Linux. Anybody in the mumble room have a thought on uh, if this is problem is something we're anywhere close to solving? Because I feel like we're so far out mm. from having an answer here. I think uh, the, one of the first questions you asked was you alluded to the fact that this keeps happening mm-hmm. and that things aren't changing, and there's a good reason for that. The same people work in that team. You know, if if you don't change anything, then nothing is going to change. It is as simple as that. If the and if the people who are at the top and who control the style of communication that happens in that team and have other people looking up to them and take guidance on how to act, if those people don't change, then nothing will change and this will carry on. And you'll be left with only those people who have a very strong stomach and a very thick skin and who can cope with the kind of beatings that that Linus gives out and you won't be able to have the other talent from the people who don't have a thick skin and and aren't willing to put up with that crap and so you're 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 limiting the contributions that you can possibly get not because of someone's technical ability but because of their willingness to put up with the crap that they have to in that group hmm i uh i just uh, that so your argument which is a good one it sort of assumes the foregone conclusion that something must change that uh the way it's being done now is wrong and uh i don't necessarily disagree but the, I, I guess the thing i don't like about that is that begins to walk a path that leads to linus and uh i don't really want there to be this sort of Linus must go sentiment building because that seems like that could be destructive. No, but he's not a god. He's he's a guy who is an unpleasant person. He he said that himself yeah, he at a recent that. Linus conference. He said, I'm not a nice person to deal with. You know, it, that's a kind of... It's one of those phrases that people use that, that people say, oh, well, I tell it like it is and uh, no, take know. me for what I am. And, no, uh, I you know. know, that's the way I am. And, you know, and I say what I like and, yeah. you know, that's, that's it. Well, okay, that's fair enough, but stay the fuck away from me because you're not a pleasant person to be around. I, I do follow that and line I of logic. I don't see why you have to be around these people. Well, and unfortunately, some of these people have to because it's their job. I, I just I, – the, uh, the only – of course, the counter argument would be – the very success of Linux itself, right? And so I, the, when, when the line of logic is that Linus is the problem, then I say, well, then what was everything we've accomplished so far? How, he has been not necessarily the person that developed it, but you do have to wonder if we would really have the world's best kernel right now if he wasn't extremely critical. And I'm not trying to justify it. I'm just throwing that right. if that's a possibility. It's sort, of like, it's sort of like Apple is a nicer, softer company without Steve Jobs, but they have also lost something without him. Correlation is not causation. It's, you can't just say that because uh, Linus wears glasses, everyone who wears glasses must be a really good kernel hacker. You, you can't necessarily say that no, no, Linus has a particular style. I've kernel since I started wearing glasses. <laughs> just, because, just because that's what he's like 
and Linux is has been successful doesn't mean it is successful because that's what he's like. Right. No, that, I, that, I, I that agree. Isn't a direct correlation. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I just I think it, it still is a dangerous line of thinking. But it, maybe it's. I mean, maybe it is time. Uh, uh, okay, let's let's. Uh, you, okay, let's put it to you. Yeah. If you were in, if you're working in an office, and someone was talking to you the way that Linus talked to Sarah, would you? You know, if you. You would you just shrug that off if it happened repeatedly and your your main line of work was to interact with that person? Would you let that stand? I, I'd put it to you that most people would Probably take not. that person to one side yeah. and say, "Hey, I think you're being unreasonable. I think you're you know acting like a dick. I think you're the way you're acting in front of." our peers because this is public it's not like these two people are sat in a room right and they have a tete-a-tete in the room this is like wider than people sitting in a meeting room right. this is public on a mailing list everyone is seeing him tearing strips off people that's unreasonable and in a business place he would be reprimanded why are the linux foundation not doing something about this well i you know i've read the quotes i'm not i can't really think of one that is particularly offensive um, people have gone to through you? no I mean people have gone through and collected the quotes that they believe are, are in question here um, right but you're not on the receiving end of them no I'm it's just saying they're not none of them are none of them are all that particularly anything. so the worst one I could find and I now this is just through my reading this morning but the worst quote I found was um, something that implied uh, sucking Microsoft off that was uh, thrown at Matthew Garrett it wasn't thrown at Sarah it was thrown at Matthew Garrett um that seems to be the worst I could find on on the kernel mailing list, and it's okay. That's crude, but uh, you know, I don't know. I, I the the sometimes from the outside the story looks a lot worse. To be honest with you, Bopi, to answer your question, I I have worked environments where people yell and scream like that, uh, and it's not wonderful. It's not great, um, but uh, sometimes it just is, is how those people work, unfortunately, and I don't like it. But uh, it's sort of uh, it's sort of posted everywhere when you walk in the door. What happens? I mean, everybody. It's not like it's a secret. Like you said, all that stuff is in public. So, right. But it, at a place like that, you can, you know, you can act and effect change. You know, if if, if whether whether you feel it's re- unreasonable or not, you know, the person who's the recipient of that can effect some kind of change by approaching management or approaching the other person's management or the HR department or whatever the process is in that company. There are processes is it's, the point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. I would be surprised there if there is isn't change. Linux. I mean, they're already, they're already, they already have submitted the uh, code of conduct, then the new updated one that right, Craig submitted. Which doesn't it. actually identify anything that you're not supposed to do in any way. Right. But the, the problem is there's only one person at the top of this tree. And that's Linus. You can't you can't say, oh, well, screw this. I'll go to that other Linux down the road, like you would quit a job and go to a different job. Mm-hmm. You know, if if your if your job is to contribute to Linux, chances are if it's if it's uh, high enough up the up the food chain, you're going to interact with the LKML at some point. So it's 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 difficult because there is only one. Yeah, there can only be one. Uh, so uh, Heavens, you wanted to jump in about Linus being blunt and harsh. What are your thoughts? Well. He's been this way for quite a long while, and this problem hasn't popped up until recently, mainly with her. Just because everyone else can deal with it, and she can't. Maybe she should be a step down, so she's not dealing directly but doesn't with that it. But doesn't that assume that other people... That assumes that other people haven't burnt out and left and just didn't say anything? Well, possibly, well, but... Or engaged no with other communities. Vocal. Yeah. What was that, Wimpy? Also, well, it didn't get started in the first place. Right. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. BSD? Go ahead, Heavens. Ideally, of course, it would be a slightly nicer place to be, but the Linux kernel, yes, I do believe he should be 
very blunt and straightforward to be as... Really? That's, that's your solution? That if you don't like it, you should find another project? Clearly technical as possible. Well, the, the problem that she was talking about in her, in her blog post was not about the fact that uh, any technical mistakes that she made was mm-hmm. insulting to her. Mm-hmm. She said that she wanted that if she made a technical mistake that she wanted them to call her, call her out on it and that she didn't have a problem with technical insults it was the personal insults that they were thrown at her i don't know what they were i couldn't i couldn't find any myself but the i didn't look that hard but the the point is is that if if there are personal insults then what what is the ne- what is it necessary to actually insult the person who's providing the code if they're genuinely trying to provide good code rather than saying here's where you screwed up like this is garbage code here's how to fix it or here's an, a suggestion or something and when that happens they usually say okay yeah you're right I'll take care of it but if it goes to he a personal level why would he's you stay he's way too busy for a person one, he's also wanting to retire. He's no, 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 old. you're, you're associating, associating this to Linus. It's not necessarily... Yeah, I guess it's a lot of the maintain, other maintainers yeah. are where yeah, some that's of this a good may point. be. Right. She, was, she, yeah. was, she was talking about the community as a whole. She did not specify Linus or anyone at all. Right, right. And uh, I, think, I think that kind of... when it Obviously, when it crosses line into personal, that's where it gets unfortunate. And it should, that, there's no excuse for that, really. That's just being mean. It's just that is straight up just being mean. North Ranger, I wanted to give you a chance to jump in. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rotten Corpse makes a great point about, you know, when you cross that line into a personal insult. Um, and I'm kind of torn because I want to see, uh, you know, people like Sarah, people like Matthew, if they are being personally insulted, uh, to, you know, to call out those bulliers. But on the, on the flip side, I don't know that they can do that because of, you know, potential backlash they might have for, uh, for being tattletales or whatever you might want to call it. It just, I guess, going back to the core point, it frustrates me because here we are in episode 113. I feel like every two months we have a story where maybe it's not that frequent, but it feels like we've done plenty of these stories about people getting hurt, upset, and uh, it seems like this just keeps keeps happening. Um, well, on, in the blog post, Sarah did say that Things are changing and things are making right. improvements. She just doesn't want to deal with it, having to be involved with it anymore. Regardless of that, there is being, there are I, changes being made. She just doesn't want to be there in the in the midst of them changing. I think it's I think it's fair too to say that uh, it's very unfortunate if this is something that singles out and happens to women. Uh, but we have seen it happen. We've seen it happen to blonde white men. I mean, supposedly Lenart Pottering had his life threatened over system D. Um, so <laughs> this has been an issue where it just goes too far over and over and over again. And uh, we're I, a passionate community. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know quite how to make reason out of it. It doesn't. It it does seem to be a problem that doesn't just be unique to the Linux kernel mailing list either. Although I think you could make an argument that that's an area where perhaps conduct needs to be above bar as much as possible because it's under so much scrutiny and it represents such a core part of the. It's platform. business critical now. You know, for yeah. some, it's. Yeah. yeah, there's yeah. and as I said, there's only one. But they, they, the business critical thing actually adds more importance to making sure everything is right. Yeah, yes, true. Exactly. I think the idea that the 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 way that they handle the technical aspects of it is perfectly fine, and even if they're yelling at each other, and, and because if someone does something that is worthy of being yelled at, they should be yelled at because that's the only thing that's effective in a in a even though they're people being paid for it and it's their job, they aren't 
being paid by the Linux Foundation for most of these I think people. It's worth making the distinction too that what some people consider being yelled at, other people do not consider yelling too, because there are cultural differences and there's very sure. large cultural differences in some cases. Right, and it, and the main thing is though, like these people are saying, that, like you know, they're they're being paid to work on it, so they don't have a choice. But the people who are yelling at them aren't paying them, so how can they, you know, convey the message of how the severity of their mistake when they have no actual control except for this is not coming in? Like that's all they can do. So like here, they if they maybe. You know, in certain cases, be severe or not. It depends on if the technical aspect of it is merited or not. So, as lo- in my opinion, if the technical thing happens and you get yelled at because the code is terrible, well, then the code is terrible. Whatever, fix it. So here's but the thing: as long as it doesn't go personal. As Noah would say, here's the thing, <laughs> uh, and uh, this is sort of my big takeaway: is if you have something that's open and you want contributions and you want quality contributions. It's probably worth the project's time and effort to make contributions feel or make contributors feel as welcome and invited as possible because that only is going to make your project better. And so I think it is in the best interest of open source projects health to have a good community. And part of that is how you interact with that community. So now the Linux kernel isn't really suffering from this particular problem. They can afford to be rather aggressive. But there are a lot of projects out there, some many of which we have talked about today, that could use contributions. And for them, it's in their best interest to work with the community. Now, what I would hate to see is a bunch of middle management PMO types come in and try to tell all these projects how to work with their community. But that is a topic for a future show. If uh, anybody has any closing thoughts, I'll, I'll hear it. But uh, oh, go ahead, Rod. We'll, you'll, I'll give you the closing word. Yeah, I just wanted to play devil's advocate here uh, in the sense of like the way you just said about how that they need to you know, be more uh, opening to people. But there are certain cases where there's some people that you, you don't want to submit code to because it takes more time to weed through their code to see if it's actually useful or not, that there have been people who have been banned from the mailing list because they were submitting code <laughs> yeah. that was complete garbage yeah. just so that they could get their own – for a couple reasons, they could get their name in the kernel or certain things like that. And in certain cases, they were like actively breaking you know, user land and everything, and which right. is like a cardinal sin of a kernel. Uh, so they were – Basically, doing th- like they have to set an environment that is a weird hybrid of mm-hmm. community and hostility. So it's it's you know how can you really? I mean, it's it's a situation where I don't think anyone could really you know find iron it out. It's going to be hard yeah. to find the balance. That's what I was saying. Is it's going to be an ongoing problem too. But uh, I do hope it tends towards making people feel more welcome and getting more contributors because that's going to make the projects better. Uh, and get new ideas in there, too. So uh, why don't we kind of end it on a positive note right there. Episode Lucky 113 in the bag. If you have any comments or thoughts on anything we talked about today, linuxactionshow.reddit.com, find Lucky 113. Or go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Linux Unplugged from the dropdown. I'm going to give a plug, too, for the Patreon. We're trying to get a push to get the numbers back up over at patreon.com slash today. And if you've enjoyed the rover log, there is additional exclusives just for the patrons. And once you become a patron, you get access to everything we've ever posted there that's exclusive to them. Wes, thank you, sir, for joining us. Always a pleasure. Do you ever have anything you want to plug? Uh, you can find me at, at Wes Payne on Twitter. I love and, it. Uh, 
uh, I'll be working on some tutorials for uh, posting in the subreddit soon, soon here. Ooh, nice tease, nice tease. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. Join us live over jblive.tv for episode 114 next Tuesday. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for the robots to convert that for you automatically. And we'll see you back here next week. I'm being honest. My uh, my strong desire was actually to just uh, reload my machine with the latest Androgos ISO that I already had written to a to a USB thumb drive. I'm like new install. I'm like no, no. I can recover it. I can rebuild it. I can make it stronger and better than before. I've seen some people on the uh, Arch forums who just have it set up every night. They just reinstall. Really? Just, yeah. Well, you know, you just pull down. What? Especially if you already have like uh, maybe you cache the packages locally. <laughs> you know, you have uh, some you know chef or Ansible and just. Uh, Build it all up again. It's ready to go in the morning. Antigross is good. I'm telling you. I'm loving the latest Antigross build. Loving their installer. S- option for long-term kernel support is brilliant when you're yeah. doing a desktop Arch machine and one checkbox Steam installation. You know, it's also my default for installing Arch now. I don't I don't use their installer, but uh, it, it's such a nice live CD yep. to boot into, and then you just uh, <clears throat> install Arch in a true on your now drive. And then, every now and then, I swear, I get like a bad ISO or something, and the installer is just totally wonky, but... Mm. I either then I just jump either between the daily build or the latest stable release, yeah. and whichever one fails me, I just switch. Switch, and one of them's going to work. Yeah, and I I have to say I just recently uh, reloaded a machine that we had set aside for Windows 10 testing that I was like, no more, <laughs> gone with you, and I just was like, well, I'm going to do Anagros again, and I got their latest uh, their latest build, and. It, the fact is, is this machine, now that I think about it, I'm giving it to somebody that's going to be using it that won't be doing updates very often. Mm-hmm. And having that LTS kernel, I, I feel a lot better about giving them an Arch system all of a sudden, even though for me, I don't do it. Right, right. But for someone in a different, a little different use case. Yeah, it's like, that's a, yeah, I think it's a little more peace of mind installing. And, and of course, anybody installing Arch could do that. Uh, but for some reason, when I was setting up this machine for them, it didn't cross my mind. I tell you, if I had done the Arch installation myself, yeah. I, I probably would have just neglected to think of that. Yep. So I was, I was pretty appreciative of that. Just so, had the option as the default. Or. It really makes Arch super approachable. Yeah. You don't have to have, spe- you know, carefully designed your system for a day beforehand. You can just install it and yeah. away you go. Yeah. And the default, the default GNOME desktop is the one I generally go with. It's pretty nice. I change it up pretty quickly, but <clears throat> it's easy enough to do that. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> In fact, <clears throat> I think probably the only time I'll ever install Arch Vanilla, stra- stra- uh, standard old Arch, is on a server. Right. If yeah. I'm, for some reason, deciding that server should be running Arch. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how much I'm going to do that. I'm on the fence on that still. I do it for, uh, for uh, a few machines that I use daily. But uh, anything beyond that, I wouldn't... Depends on how, how willing you are and how much time you have and importance so, to So I think it also it. depends on <clears throat> what's the server doing, right? Yes, I exactly. Mean, so is the, server, is the server hosting web pages over Nginx and Apache, or Apache? And uh, and it has a database, or is it a Plex machine with Dropbox and BitTorrent Sync? Yes, exactly. And I'm, I'm more inclined to say Ubuntu is a good is a good solution, or CentOS is a good solution for the first one. Yes. And Arch is a better solution for the Plex media server type thing, because then you have the AUR, <clears throat> and you could 
just right off the top of my head, I'm, I mean, the, the advantage there is in the AUR, you've got the Plex and the Plex Pass version. Yep. You can also get like the Git versions or whatever, like the beta builds yeah, you can and track stuff. the nightlies or whatever you need. Yeah, and so it's a very minimal update. And if you so, <clears throat> we have two servers that run Arch that host Plex. One here at the studio mm-hmm. and one at my house. Nice. And um, both of them are just really minimal installs with Plex and a couple other things. Yep. And then it just keeps the updates fairly small. And so I think now we're at like two to three months in between updates. Mm-hmm. But it really hasn't been an issue yet. Yes. You know, that's what I've been doing for the one that runs MB at my house. And, and there are ways to, uh, you know, you can, you can update frequently if you need to. Or you can take snapshots if, uh, you know, SUSE style, if, yeah. if you're worried about, yeah. you know, if you need it to be a little more production-y. Um, and, you know, ever the, uh, the Evergreen releases from OpenSUSE are a good LTS, but I think maybe for me the, uh, the Leap stuff might be even better. Hey, so what do you think about this? User in the chat room says, how do you manage your dot .files and anagrams? I'm looking for the best way to do it. And then when he says manage, I'm thinking maybe keeping them consistent across his machines. Is that what you think he's talking about when he says manage? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> yeah, it could be consistent. It could be versioned. It could be backed up. So uh, I used to try. I used to try to do this over Dropbox, and uh, that burned me so bad that I never bothered again. And actually, what it, what the way it kind of burned me was is one machine got updated to a new version of KDE, and then the other machine stuff synced over, and it was just a mess. And it's like, of course, that was going to happen to me. I was just kind of trying it, and that didn't go well. Have you ever used anything Wes, to like Git or anything like that to keep your dot? Yeah, files you know, in? and it depends again, like so many things, on how involved you want to be, how often you need to touch it, how <laughs> you know, like magically behind the scenes it works. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, I have mine. I use uh, GNU Stow to create sim links for my configuration files in both Etsy and my dot files. Uh, GNU Stow, huh? Yeah. Hold on now, hold on now, Zoo. Hold on, that sounds app pick material. I gotta take a look. Tell me about GNU Stow. That just got it's me a excited. Sim link manager. G N U O. Oh, okay. S T O W. Okay. And I'm slightly, all of a sudden, yeah, I'm it's slightly not that less excited. excited. Um, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I learned to use it for a particular project uh, several years ago. That's why it's in my toolkit. Okay. Um, but it lets you set up, uh, it lets you easily set up um, sort, of, sort of like you would see inside of like an RPM package where you have a, a tree that gets mirrored out to the real file system. And so it makes it really easy to keep your oh. configuration files. Okay. Um, you know, so usually when I set things up or if I'm converting a server, you can just move a file to your, to your storage location. And then in Stow will automatically, if you set it up, create a symlink. So you can edit your files just like they actually lived in Etsy. Yeah. Uh, but they can all be under one folder. Yeah. And then <clears> um, <throat> that way, whenever you have changes, you know, you can make a new branch on Git. You can and then so you're, when backing you up, you're backing up that one folder? Yes, exactly. So that's just a Git repo with and all my s- configuration. And you're syncing that across your machines? Yeah. Well, and then and then that's you can have you know you can have different branches if you have you know different configuration files that need to be in a different syntax. That's sounding to get a little complicated though. Yeah, and so it depends. You know, most of my machines are similar enough that I can just sync them. You know, I can just pull down the repo. Um, you could have an easy little script that would keep it in sync if you'd like. Ooh. It really depends on how you know how different your configurations need to be yeah. per machine. So uh, user links in the chat room, uh, an actual specific how-to on how to use uh, Stow to, to kind of do exactly what we're talking about, how to manage your dot .files. So I will throw a link to that in the show notes. So here it is, using GNU Stow to manage your dot .files. This might be exactly what uh, you, and, you know, And this will work well if uh, your idea of a file manager is the terminal. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, you know, it's not for everyone, but yeah, uh, yeah. I, I've, I've had some good use, use cases. I like that. <laughs> it seems to me like kind of an intermediate step. You if you're not what? ready to go full Ansible or Chef, 
You know what's like funny about that statement, though, is the the command line. I laugh at the command line being my file manager until I really need to get something done or I don't have any damn time to fool around. And then all of a sudden, you damn right, the command line is my file yep. manager. <laughs> That's all I'll use. Move is move, and it, yeah. it'll always work. And uh, LS responds immediately. I don't have to wait for Nautilus to enumerate icons or yes, whatever. there's no preview files. <laughs> no, there's no, no. Yeah. I just want the file list. I want to know who owns this file right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I love it.